Hello everyone, I've got another bonus episode for you here. Our friends over in Australia at therationalrise.com invited us to join them on their YouTube channel. I'm just going to post it here for anyone who'd like to listen to it. We had a really great chat about globalism, nationalism, the political climate in Scotland and Australia. Before we get on though, I just wanted to mention that our last episode with Dr. Mary Ruart did a little bit less well than we expected it to. We thought it was one of our best episodes. So I just want to ask you a favour. I just want to ask you to share that episode with one person. It would be really useful to us to monitor our analytics after making this call out. So please engage in this little experiment with us by passing on our episode featuring Mary Ruart to one person who wouldn't have heard it before. Until next time, enjoy this bonus episode. Hey guys, I'm James for The Rational Rise, and this is Sven. And we are joined today by the Scottish Liberty Podcast. We've got Anthony Samaroff and Tom Laird joining us from Scotland. How are you, fellas? Yeah, good day, good folks. Good, good day. Yeah. <laughs> <Look at> <laughs> oh, very good. Very yeah, good. We've, right, we've, been, we've been swatting up. Yeah. Yeah, you've acculturated. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> right. Well, uh, so to give our viewers a little uh, background here, we've um, we've been sort of collaborating with Anthony for a while um, via his own blog, um, and he's been sort of uh, we've been syndicating his uh, writing on economics over to our website, which has been um, great for keeping the content rolling forward and keeping the and my ego. Ah, yeah, yeah, and keep keeping the flame of uh, you know Austrian economics and general uh, truthful goodness uh, in the eyeballs of Australians, as many as we can reach. Uh, I think okay. we mostly have international folks, so really, but mm. we're trying. We're trying to get through <laughs> the Aussies here. How does Austrian oh, economics differ from Australian economics? <laughs> is it just a, a is it just that one letter? <laughs> yeah, yeah, one one syllable difference. We're very very closely related. <laughs> Um, so today okay. we wanted to just sort of uh, have an introductory chat to you guys because I hope we can do this um, regularly and start by getting a sense yeah. of um, what our countries have in common, um, you know, culturally and politically and, and what are the differences and how do uh, people like us who are sort of, who have placed ourselves in a contrarian position, logically, you know, how do we, how do we navigate um, through our, our worlds? What's it like for you guys over there being... Uh, libertarians it's uh <laughs> it's a living hell <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i don't know you just feel like the i know it sounds kind of arrogant but you feel you do feel like the the, the one bright kid in the classroom you know um mm -hmm. everybody else seems to be playing with plasticine and you're trying to teach them all basic arithmetic um no, it's it, you know everybody in Scotland or most people in Scotland have a kind of socialist bent to them. So uh, it's it, even even being on the on the right at all of the spec. And I know libertarians don't see themselves as being on the right, but even economically being on the right at all in Scotland is, is somewhat of an anomaly. Uh, um, so it's 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 hard going. It, it's it really is, yeah. Do you guys have like a, a, a sort of um, a bit of a two-party system there, like like we have in Australia and, and America has? You know, with a, a like in, in our case, it's a leftist party and a slightly less leftist leftist party. Um, that's that's pretty much our two. Yeah, 
<laughs> that can that kind of pretty much describes it. I mean, in, in Scotland, uh, we we have the added problem. We have we have our own regional government here. As you know, we're pushing for well, there, there's a there's a big push for independence. But we have in our in our regional government in the Scottish government, we have the Scottish National Party dominated. They're called the National Party, but they're not really nationalists. They're the worst nationalist party in the world. They're really leftists. So. Um, yeah, and they, they they have really because they started out as quite a right of centre party, but they took a massive swing to the left in order to take votes away from the Labour Party, which was traditionally what Scottish people voted for. So really, they have just became the Scottish Labour Party with a new face. Right, and are they the still, only difference? Are they still moving towards independence? Is that their their sort of main goal, like UKIP was for you know Britain in general leaving? Well, yes and no. That's their that's their stated objective. But when you look closely at what they're trying to achieve, what they're trying to achieve is to take Scotland into the European Union. So it's uh, not right. independent. Oh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. yeah it's, it's not independence at all. They're trading. They're trading one foreign master for another. You know, they're going to take yeah. power away from Westminster just long enough to give it to uh, Brussels. That's their plan. So they talk about independence, but no, not even a retarded baboon could regard it as actually independence but that's what they well, call it the, yeah it's, it's stepping away from one ruler to a much much bigger yeah. you know more dangerous one so it sounds idiotic absolutely yeah they do have an inexplicable boner for the european union i don't know why they love it so much <laughs> well um, so many um, i mean you know everyone's got their kind propaganda <laughs> yeah well I, I think people on the left as well like to see themselves as being uh, cosmopolitan and cultured so you know therefore you know, if you're pro-European, or sorry, if you're anti-Europe, somehow you're you're insular, and you know you 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 don't want to you know, and, and it's just not true. You know, I've travelled Europe, I've travelled the world. Uh, mm. I, I don't think you need. If you want to have open borders, just friggin' have open borders. You don't need to be part of this giant conglomerate in order to do that. Um, but they like to be able to see themselves as superior and being culturally superior, and you know. Outward looking. Outward looking, yeah, as opposed to introspective, like as small-minded uh, libertarians and individualists. Yeah. And where do you guys stand um, as libertarians on the on the issue of nationalism? Um, you know, because I mean, obviously, we all agree that the EU is a is an experiment gone horribly wrong. And um, but um, but you know, in the in the current scheme of global politics, do you think mm. Scotland would be better off you know so we've kind of lost you there for a moment do you think can you still can you still hear us it's gone was, do you think oh wait we've got you back what's going wrong Is it our end or your end? Uh, sorry, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, we're, like we're back. So were you asking, do we think that it would be better um, if Scotland was an independent nation or were you just asking what our views were on nationalism in general? Um, well, no, well, if Scotland would be better as a, uh, as a national 
uh, as an independent, as the only end game, uh, you know, in the immediate, like if it's, um, yeah, I mean, well, just in the short term, at least, you know, do you, do you, would you guys prefer for Scotland to be independent of Westminster? Uh, I would certainly prefer Scotland to be independent of Westminster, uh, Westminster, but uh, I would like Scottish people to be independent of Holyrood, i.e. their own government as well, you know, and I just see that as a stepping stone towards that. Scotland has a population of 6 million people. United Kingdom has a population of about 60 million people. Is it easier to convince 60 million people of your arguments or is it easier to convince 6 million people of your arguments? Well, I think 6 million. So the smaller and closer I can bring government to myself, the better in my view. Mm. However, in the short yeah. term, it, in the short term, it may result in a more leftist uh, government in the, in, in the, the, the short term. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's problematic. So, so, so I have provisionally, a, you'd want the uh, you'd, you'd want the Scottish nation to also like have a stipulation that you can't then become part of another bigger, right? Yeah. Truly independent and would remain so. That yeah, be. yeah. I have more um, concern over Scottish independence than t Tom does. I'm not against it. Uh, in fact, when the vote came around, I abstained because I felt like I didn't really have enough information or a crystal ball to see the future. I was like, I'm, I'm sure. actually pretty much okay either way. But the thing is, yeah, Scotland is overwhelmingly left and a lot of people are worried about um, an independent Scotland becoming the People's Republic of Scotland. So for that, that reason, I wasn't uh, gung-ho yeah. or particularly... Um, like strongly for independence i wasn't strongly for it i wasn't against it either but um like i did i i've never really been that much of a nationalist per se um i kind of thought i was born on a piece of land because if i wasn't i would drown uh, and uh, although i do love you know a lot of scottish culture and things like that i couldn't ever say that i was like proud to be Scottish or British because I didn't earn it and I find it hard to be mm. proud of something that I didn't earn but I do like um, you know Scottish culture I also like British culture I like Queen and Faulty Towers <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Was that Queen um, or The Queen? <laughs> no, not The Queen but uh, the phenomenal rock band um, so yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question now though, because with the rise of globalism, obviously nationalism is seen as a bit of a bulwark against the encroaching power of super states. And um, yeah, I just, I guess uh, I think, I don't know if this, I'm kind of going on off on a tangent for your, um, from your question, but as far as nationalism in general goes, I kind of with the idea, the kind of liberal classically liberal idea that reason should be the um, the basis of cult, uh, of cultural facets rather than tradition but that being said if a tradition has lasted a long time that could be reason and evidence in favor of it as a successful as a successful um, yeah cult, yeah as a I, I mean I guess at the end of the day nationalism is just another form of collectivism. And as libertarians, mm. you know, it's, that's, yeah. that's not something. But it's yeah. a small one. So, you we know, need to be yeah. pragmatic. 
yeah. I mean, end game is individual sovereignty, but um, we're we're away yeah. away from that, and uh, in in both our countries. Yeah. And uh, and I think um, you know, Anthony, you talked about or a lack thereof yourself, and I mean, I right. I've always felt that in Australia, um, there's um, there's a lot of um, this sort of um, notion in, in the leftist uh, circles around mm. us that uh, that Australia has no culture of its own, you know. Um, and I've always, mm. I've kind of grown up subscribing to that view. And I think um, there's a bit of a danger in there because then, um, you know, we, we've on the, you know, kids like us who've been raised in this sort of leftist environment and leftist schools with leftist teachers have kind of been propagandized that, you know, multiculturalism is, is the answer and diversity is the strength and while i'm not into the idea of ethno states at all um i'm starting to see and empathize with if not share that like in countries like in america and, and in britain um you know post brexit or during the whole brexit um campaign and stuff that this national pride is sort of re-emerging and right. while it is irrational um, it's uh, it's sort of a useful tool and maybe a productive counter to the lack of national pride that has led to these super states. Right. But, but we got to that. Yeah, we got to that part of, prior to this. Uh, I'm I'm the only one who's actually an immigrant to the country. I, I assume you guys were both Scottish. You sound pretty Scottish. Um, so okay, okay. I, Australia. Yeah, and I and I guess I sound. Well, Australia, so. Every Australian's an immigrant, surely. <laughs> Well, well, I'm like first generation. Like I was four when I came over to here. But James was right. saying how there is this sense in Australia that we don't really have a culture, and we've had a conversation previously where we kind of we all realised, hey, like I'm the only one here who actually, you know, I don't know if pride is the right word, but I, I, I do think there is an Australian culture, and maybe that's because right. I was sort of dispossessed from my original homeland, and you know, I'm more or an identity of sorts and like mm. you say it's an, an irrational one to you know like like you said Anthony that you, you can't you shouldn't be proud of what you didn't earn but there's a cultural identity here that I do identify with and I think right. it's, aesthetically you enjoy. Stuff. yeah exactly I, I aesthetically enjoy and admire a lot a lot of things about about the culture here you know uh, Glasgow, where I'm from, is uh, famous for being a friendly city to strangers. Um, if you go in the wrong places, you might get stabbed. But <laughs> very friendly. <laughs> no, no, yeah, but but no, you know, it's very it's it's so so you can be a step, but that's different from I don't know having this kind of like jumped up sense of taking credit for the work of other people who existed sure. before yeah. you were even born. Yeah. I mean, our parents just yeah. fucked here, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, here's one, because, you know, you mentioned multiculturalism, and uh, as soon as you say anything about this, this is um, the first thing that comes up in people's minds is sort of race. I'd, I'd say that's probably the first thing and bigotry but I was thinking about this and I, I feel like I must be some kind of genius or something like that to have originated this point but let's just look at multiculturalism within whites in America right in the center of America you have this Bible Belt which is predominantly say for things like foreign interventions and for the drug war and um, against abortion for gun ownership, um, 
conservative in values, it's um, not for a big welfare state and so forth. And then you have the liberal states, which are complete opposite in all of those issues and more, right? So you have these two cultures, both white, both in the same geographical area, trying to get control of the government to force their culture on each other, right? That has nothing to do with race. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with bigotry, but it's a, it's, it's a failure, in my opinion, of multiculturalism in a geographical area. And it would be much better if either America had a federated government as was originally conceived of so that they could make these decisions on the state level. And hey, you know, if Californians want um, single-payer healthcare, which predominantly maybe 70-80% or more of them do, let them do it in their own state without forcing people in the Bible Belt to do the same. And likewise, people in the Bible Belt can just stop trying to get in charge of the federal government to universally ban uh, drug taking and force people in blue states to commit their um, soldiers to Afghanistan and Iraq. Why don't you just leave each other alone? You know, why don't you just leave each other alone? And um, or you know, alternatively, America could have been broken up into um, smaller units. And I don't think that the world would have been worse off for that uh, if it had happened. And I well, think you get, that you actually, these, I mean, you get these it's unsustainable. Across, oh, sorry, you get these uh, cultures across um, state lines to a degree, but of course, as you're saying, within each state, you also have, uh, you know, subcultures and, you know, cultural uh, subcultures of interest and, and, um, and religious views and all of these aspects. And ultimately, just like our views on, on uh, this, you know, the sovereignty being broken down from super statism to nationalism to, you know, local, um, local democracy and then to the family and to the individual, you can break down yeah. culture in the same way and every culture, every, every family has its own culture that may clash in, in multiple ways with the nearest next family. Just like every individual has his own culture that may clash with the next individual and, and it's sort of about, you know, I guess finding those you align with and, and having that freedom of association to Mm. to have a covenant or a community or a town or whatever it is you know we, we, we do need like some sort of in the end like be organized in some way and sure you know we're trying to get it as small as possible so that the individuals who are built actually have on that but um you know at the start of recognize things have to be an amazing like power in that, but we just don't want the, the coercive aspect of it. And we don't want the the financial predation, like like you say, the people in the Bible belt. It's not only that they they're being forced to adopt the same rules, but they have to pay for other people's, you know preferences. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's it's, it's ludicrous. I mean, I, I, when you were saying about you know a, Australian culture, I mean, why would there be anything? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't live there, but is the would the the culture in Perth be exactly the same as culture in Sydney, or or the same culture that they would have in Darwin? Or I mean, it's such a huge country. You know, how why would there be one Australian culture? Yeah, 
there's there's a variety of culture between North Sydney and the city, you know, North Sydney and the inner west. Yeah. Like Sydney is is a great example of a of a city of villages, you know. And I lived there for a couple of years, and it's yeah. like you cross a main road and you're in you're in a different cultural yeah. zone. And even here on the Gold Coast, like areas so much different yeah, from from surfers yeah. or yeah that's right uh, how's that for you guys in in glasgow or edinburgh or other you know major scottish cities do you find there are really clear delineations of like cultural enclaves throughout the cities um probably not as clearly defined but you you yeah it's still there you you, you still talk about a west coast culture and east coast culture or a Glasgow culture and an Edinburgh culture. I mean, it's only there's only 30 miles or 40, 40 miles of motorway between uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow, but there is a distinct difference. Anybody who's lived in both cities will, will tell you that there are differences. Whether those differences are real or perceived uh, yeah. could be an argument, I, but I, I think thought, they're very real. Uh, before I moved to Edinburgh, I thought a lot of the things that they said about Edinburgh were stereotypes, but living there, I would say that. Um, that they're actually true to a degree. Yeah, there, there is truth in the, the stereotypical differences. Can you, I mean, even can just in the fact that Glasgow... Aussie is an example? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it stems from... Even Glasgow was, was, is, a, is a, a, a bigger city. It's an industrial city. You know, they built ships there. It was, it was a far bigger city population-wise and probably a bigger city in area as well. But yeah, Edinburgh is the capital, and it's it's also... A, a better aesthetically it's a better city it's a nicer city to look at so there's a there's a kind of needle match there already but um i would say that the the prevailing the difficulty with edinburgh is you know when you when you're in the center of edinburgh there's a there's a prevailing culture which i would say is a is a it's not even a scottish culture you feel as if you're living in a in an english city in scotland um <laughs> But that's that's not even Edinburgh. In the outskirts of Edinburgh, you have much more working class areas, and the culture there would be would be different again. But the the Edinburgh kind of exudes a sort of middle class sensibility, and you get the impression that everybody who's there, uh, you know, should have been somewhere else. You know, if if you weren't if you weren't if you weren't good enough to get into Oxbridge. You go to Edinburgh University, you know, if you aren't good enough to, to, to work at the, the Times uh, in London or the Guardian in Manchester, you, know, you came and worked for the Scotsman in Edinburgh. You know, that's that's kind of the, the, the impression that you get. You know, it's a city of also runs. But I don't know if that's completely fair. Um, but there is a standoffishness. I, I think in Glasgow, people are far more uh, forward, much more uh, open and much more dismissive as well. People won't put up with bullshit in Glasgow for a minute. Whereas in Edinburgh, it's, 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 it's a, polite. yeah, there's a kind of politeness, a kind of, you know, don't rock the boat, very middle-class sensibility. Sure. And yeah. people move to the city that their, that their personality matches have found. Uh, like the people I know who've moved to Edinburgh kind of fit in there and people I've known who've moved to Glasgow kind of fit in there. But I would say, you know, Glasgow has got a reputation for being friendlier and Edinburgh's got a reputation for being a little bit more standoffish. But Edinburgh is superficially friendly. You know, the difference is if you talk to someone you don't know in Edinburgh, they will talk to you. Whereas in Glasgow, someone you don't know will start a conversation with you. You know, yeah, um, which so, can be a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah, obviously. it can. Yeah. <laughs> <Or> <laughs> <just> <laughs> <get right. laughs> 
Yeah. They're going to be friendly to you whether you fucking like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and what about um, like some of the other, you know, because we only really ever hear about um, Edinburgh and Glasgow, but what about places like Aberdeen or other, other cities that we you know, aren't, aren't so much on the map globally? Uh, do they, are they really distinct culturally? Um, but don't know. But I mean, I lived, I lived in Edinburgh. Uh, sorry, I lived in Aberdeen for about five years, almost six. And yeah, it's the, there's there's a there's certain things that affect that too. Uh, Aberdeen's obviously an oil city. Before then, it was pretty much fishing was the main sort of thing. So there's a kind of there's a perception amongst lowlanders that the Aberdonians are kind of uh, sort of sort of mean spirited, insular, uh, you know, kind of dour people but it's, it's it's not it's not really true i enjoyed living in aberdeen it's uh it, it's because it's further north you get far less daylight uh in the in the winter than you would in the other maybe two hours less daylight in the winter that has an effect you know on, on mm. people um but it's a very prosperous or it was the oil industry's taking a downturn but it was quite a prosperous city so it was um yeah, there are, you notice cultural differences there, but at the same time, Aberdeen in the city itself is very cosmopolitan. A lot of Australians, a lot of South Africans, a lot of uh, you know, a lot of a lot of students from abroad. So you know, that 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 has an effect as well. But it's a small, it's yeah. a very small city, very small city, even smaller than, than Edinburgh, really. Inverness has just been given uh, Highlands. That's just been given city status not so long ago. Maybe in the last ten years, it got city status. So it's very small again, and there's a there's a there's a there's you another feel it, another like, difference there as well. If you go to uh, Inverness or Dundee or Perth, you feel you get a feeling Perth, Scotland. That is, you get a feeling that yeah. that the culture is slightly different. Yeah, the original um, and in probably, our opinion, the best. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't know either. Yeah, they like they like six thousand kilometers. Past, by the way, it's, yeah, it's another country. Western Australia. So I heard, I heard that Australia was liberalising. Is that just a lot of bollocks? I, I had hope. I thought that Australia was going to copy New Zealand, who started going in a more free market direction about twenty-five years ago. Is that just nonsense? Is Australia not going full Rothbard? Well, well, like I like I said earlier, we've got a um, we've got a leftist party and a slightly less leftist leftist party. So we're yeah. now currently ruled by the slightly less leftist leftist party. Um, but right. uh, growing, an interesting thing that's happening at, at the moment here is a lot of independent parties are starting to emerge and actually power. Um, so there's been a few um, out sort of. Uh, my my favourite party in Australia is the Liberal Democrat Party, which is basically a libertarian party. Um, right. And, okay. um, and we actually have one senator uh, in Australia who's who's um, a Liberal Democrat, and uh, okay. he's man, he's based as fuck. Like he's he's all over the meme culture and uh, and has no right. shits to give. So he's he's um he's a hilarious character to have in our political scene, but. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a few like kind of um, there's a, a bit of a shock jock um, guy called Darren Hinch who's who's um, gained power as an independent um, politician as well and um, and Pauline Hanson is sort of the the figure of note because she is she still um, around? She was like she is still around and she is like rising with um, a vengeance. Yeah, she's around. Like she has a, really? a, a national party now and she's getting members in every state. 
coming in. And man, you know, she's on point with a lot of the with a lot of her commentary, and that that was a real. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she must have, been, must have been born again bright because I remember her. I remember when she first started. I mean, she was like, you know, she was a Australian housewife, or that's how she comported herself. And like, you know, everybody, she got a lot of popular support. But I remember at the time, you know, she, this is before YouTube and, and stuff like that, you know, so there wasn't so much coverage on her all the time. But she, she said a lot of crazy things, you know, um, but she, and you know, she wasn't really on, on, well, but so she's, she's, She's got her the shit together. Huh? On, on that is that she, well, I, man, I, I think she might have had her shit together more back 20 years ago than, right. than we all thought because, uh, like right. you say, we didn't have YouTube back then. Yeah. And she was painted as this sort of crazy devil woman. Um, and I, I yeah. you know, like my whole world that I grew up in, which is how could anyone vote? Um, back now on some of her old speeches, like her first speech in the in the Senate back in back. 20 years ago and I watched the whole speech recently um, compared to her most recent one when she came back into um, a position of power here and she was saying the same things um, about multiculturalism back then and you know it was she was really painted as like racist and that was the kind yeah. of but you know like what I was going to say was she said crazy things back then I think in the same way that um you know donald trump is portrayed to be completely nuts by the leftist right. media like yeah there's there's some like really like neither of them get, present very good optics you know like they they're both good with the uh political rhetoric in a lot of ways yeah. like the public speaking they they're rough around the edges but the yeah. message is quite pertinent to what the people want you know yeah. and i don't i don't yeah, by any means give Pauline Hanson, my, and I don't really know all of her policies, but on the topics mm -hmm. of like of uh, Islam and and socialism and welfareism and multiculturalism, I think she she actually makes a lot more sense than pretty much anyone else, other than right. David Lanehelm, who's a libertarian guy. I think between the two of them, they cover a lot of ground that you never would have heard about right. twenty years ago. But now it's like the lid is off because of social media. And now right, we can yeah. really get uh, a look in. And uh, very similar to Donald Trump's approach, um, Pauline Hansen sits down just about every day on Facebook and does a live stream where she just talks to the people directly. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what you've got to do. Media. It's harder to um, just dismiss someone out of hand as a nut now because you can actually go, you, you don't just need to have a two-minute soundbite on the radio. You can actually talk directly to your audience and say, do you know what I was um, mis misrepresented, and here are my views in full. And then, if you do that well, then whenever people start memeing about you on Facebook to try and besmirch your character, your followers will just go, "Hey, this is a complete bullshit." You know, here's what this person actually said. And hopefully, that will over time become the the mo. Actually, as this. Because we forget how young the internet is, mm -hmm. I think. You know, the, the, most of us are ahead of the curve. We expect everyone. Yeah, is uh, it's it's astounding. You know, we 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 haven't even touched the surface of of what's possible. I mean, I think as mm. as libertarians, we we're all into imagining how could society operate. Like, if we if we were suddenly granted the the individual sovereignty that we all um, believe is is the, the yeah. right way for society to run. How could we then 
organize ourselves. And I was, I was thinking before about, um, you know, Sven and I read a lot of science fiction and there's a great book that we both love. Um, Air. Instead of nation states, people are organized into um, phylums. phylums and, and cultural. Yeah, cultural. Like they actually set up geographic regions within cities that have like borders, really, you know, clear borders and okay. rules when you cross the borders. And within the borders are people who culturally agree. And it's got nothing to do with ethnicity or, <laughs> or um, nationalism. It's to do with who do you identify with, what are your interests, and how you work with your feet. And in that in that in that world, there's like there's a common economic protocol, and pretty much that's that's all that's, that's set it, up. Yeah. And um, yeah, other than that, you can you can be in your file and in your culture, and yeah, yeah it all works out pretty nice. Well, I, I think the internet's probably helped achieve something similar to that because if you look at the internet, you know, everybody's in their little subcultures dotted. You know, you've yeah. got gamers, you know, who've got their own little subculture, and people are in this different types of music, and and they they probably identify more with their online subculture oh, and their absolutely. online yeah. group than they do with the... And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we have more in common with, with you guys on the other side of the yeah. world than any you know, 99% of the people that are walking around you know, geogra geographically proximate mm. to us. So yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. and here we are rather than being out in a bar yeah. uh, with our local yeah. friends, you know, we're, we're here yeah. online. So that's, so that's our community, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, it's like uh, in the in the 80s, someone who was into Dungeons and Dragons or comics or something like that might just plain be lonely. Uh, yeah. Now they can find other people who have the same interests in them and on Facebook. And uh, the other th and likewise, you know, um, I remember Walter Block saying he asked Murray Rothbard once, "How many how many libertarians do you think there are in the world?" And uh, Murray Rothbard was like, ah, "About 25." You know, <laughs> so so it's like now we come think, a long way, baby. Yeah, yeah, we have come a long way, and it's good that we can link and empower one another. And the libertarians were on YouTube making political videos long, long before the left started getting in on the action. And with shows like the Tom Woods Show, there's actually getting to the and Stefan Molyneux Show. It's getting to the point where there's a body of information there where pretty much every objection to libertarianism right. has been or is being handled with inference to evidence. And it'll get to the point where people can just go, oh, for God's sake, are you really saying that? Surely you've actually bothered to, to, look yeah. up, to look up this article. You know, it's not right yeah. to comment on a subject when you haven't actually done the research to find out what other people who disagree with you think. And I, I'm hoping as the time progresses, that becomes the de jure view, because most of people's attitudes were formed by a time where we didn't have access to the information, or growing up in a household with people older than them whose personality was formed by a time where they didn't have access to the information. So I'm, I'm hoping that the attitudes towards uh, using reason and evidence change with time because we've got access to information which we didn't have before. Well, that that's inevitable. And like you said, the internet's so new and it's the adoption, like the older generations, like, you know, it's inevitable they're going to die off and, you know, like our, our, our kids, well, yeah. I mean, but I mean, 
you know, to, <laughs> give, to give compassion, perhaps like they're doing the best with yeah. the knowledge they had, you know, but it's not um, enough anymore. And, yeah. now, and, now to be, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's that thing, like in the age of information, like ignorance is a choice and there is just mm -hmm. so much information out there. And, you know, we're trying to spread the message in the ways we can. And I think more people like this, what we're doing now is just going to become a natural way of communicating for this new mm -hmm. generation. Um, so yeah, like may the best arguments win. And I think because as you say, like libertarians have been doing this a lot longer, it's not hard to be a leftist. You don't have to hone your arguments, you know, like we've been fighting an uphill battle with like everyone against us. Yeah. So like, we do have the better arguments, which then the question is like, do people respond to arguments, which gets to the bigger question of, you know, we're, we're talking about these big political spectrums and to what degree do people just, uh, like follow their psychological temperaments. Some people, they want you know, yeah. around things and some people, you know, maybe it's the R K selected thing or, you know, openness versus agreeableness or whatever. But yeah, that's always been my question. Maybe you've got some things to say about that as a psychologist. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess um, over time, I, I've, I've noticed how long it does take to change and um, it, it's it's good to pick your battles and check for life signs and see if someone's curious. If they're curious, then they're worth spending time with. Because it's very hard to put yourself in the shoes of someone who sees the world through a different set of lenses. But if you can um, get into their mindset, then um, then maybe you can try and find identify their values and speak to their values um, but that's very difficult to do online I found with typing because um, you can't respond to someone in real time but th that being said um, when you look at a left-wing argument it's pretty easy to understand right so it's like let's take um, the minimum wage oh yeah I mean obviously people who work hard should get a reasonable wage shouldn't they um, and you know the, the the owner isn't doing that much work, so why don't we just bump up the minimum wage? That's easy to understand. It'll take people out of poverty. But to understand, well, if you accumulate all the increases in minimum wage, that can lead to an increase in prices, which will lower the standards of living for people, and people won't get jobs in minorities. To understand the libertarian position, you actually need to use your brain a bit more and look at the secondary or tertiary consequences of actions, which is the difficulty of making the case. The, the good thing is, once someone does understand how to think economically, if you can show them in three or four different cases what the tertiary or, um, or next knock-on effects of policies are, once you get it, you can start thinking that way. So if you can demonstrate to someone how to um, think economically, that's good. I mean, Tom's really big on just saying, well, look, it's, it's a violation of the non-aggression principle. End of story. You don't have any right to tell me how, who I can sell my labor to for what price. And there is merit to taking that road as well. But I think for most people, because their desire for the state is driven by the primitive part of the brain that wants security and borders and territory and um, a safety net um, 
it's like you know the the most primitive expression of that is marriage and the the, the biggest one is the is the state you know it's literally a border like you know a dog pissing on a tree you know this is my territory people's desire for statism coming back to me as a psychologist i really believe is driven by the need for security so most people i think if you can demonstrate the utilitarian argument to a sufficient degree then they might be willing to accept the moral argument the the non-aggression principle but until they know th that their needs for security are going to be somewhat met i think most people are going to be remain to be skeptical mm. although I, i've got to say you know touching on your point uh before about um you know that you'd like to see it get to a point where the libertarian arguments more uh, difficult to convey as they are, but better as they are, that they yeah. become the norm such to the point that we can say to people, come on, you know, like get off it. Like this is well and truly, and you know, all of your ideas have been debunked and can you just, you know, do a bit of basic reading and, you know, shut up yeah. until you have. Um, but I'm already at that point with, with communists, yeah. you know, like um, right. yeah. communism has been so thoroughly debunked by, by theoretics and by facts sure. of history in every case. Well, but that wasn't real communism, James. Uh, no. I, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that 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 tired old statement, um, as mm. as I think um, I think it was from uh, Jordan Peterson. I heard it recently. He was saying that um, you know when people make that argument that oh well, that wasn't the real way to do communism, and if they'd only done it just right, profoundly arrogant to say that because it's saying that. If I had been in charge of the Soviet Union, things would have been different because I know how communism should work. Yeah. Made it the utopia and, and the egalitarian paradise. But um, the, right. the fact is, um, all of history and all of theory and, and all logical thought tells us that communism is a failure and it's, and it's an yeah. evil, evil, fucked up system. That I, when I, you know, when somebody tells me that they, they believe communism is a good idea, they're one of they're one of three things. They're either completely ignorant, um, in which case they should shut up until they're not so ignorant. Hmm. Completely retarded, in which case you know we should you know have a little compassion but not let them speak on these matters. Or they're evil. Yeah. They know it's bad and they they choose it anyway because they can leverage their own power from it. So in any case, there's no really want to um you know waste much time anymore trying to you know um engage with communists it's like if you if you tell yeah. me you're a communist like like we could talk about communism by all means and if you're curious or you're on the fence about it or you know you like i was where it sort of seems like yeah i mean people say it could work and maybe it could all that by all means but if you're if you're actually like a card carrying communist or you're declaring you know or you're a member of antifa or something like that i don't and, and possibly dangerous for me all those cases those people get to vote so. yeah. yeah yeah i know and that's the scare. should it be as a libertarian to um for the state to give these people um a ticket to cuba like can we deport can we deport communists to cuba 
Is ah, that physical the removal. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's is it not, right. Is right it not, to evict. Is it right, not, right to evict. Is it not third-party self-defense? Because <laughs> they're allowed to vote and use aggression against me. Therefore, I should be allowed to deport them to to their uh, to to. Well, that's a, that's a you is, make hard you know, argument. We, we laugh, but this is this is a really this is a pretty hot topic at the moment. This physical removal yeah. stuff, you know, because. Uh, as much as it's part of the meme culture with the, the Pinochet helicopter memes and that sort of thing, right. um, the alt-right, you know, really is shifting towards this um, this position of like, well, yeah, we have a right to defend our values and our culture from creeping socialism and communism and, and Sharia law and all of these, you know, very real ideological threats to basic mm. individual freedom. And, and they, you know, a lot of people in the alt-right are arguing that, yeah, physical removal is not only morally... Um, justified and uh and and in in line with the nap because you know the the system action and and physical removal of it is self-defense um but yeah they're arguing that it's the necessary thing to do um and you know i i can see i can see the arguments i can i can empathize i can understand it but but what, else, um, what other um, option do we have like when arguments don't work if they I, I'm still holding out that we can we can settle this with conversations, yeah. um, but maybe I'm just maybe private I'm... privatize everything, privatize right. the land, and then you've got a right to evict. You know, yeah. <laughs> you've got a right to evict. I think yeah. technology is going to. I think technology is going to help us a lot, um, because it's going to undermine a lot of the functions of the state. Um, you know, when you can get a better, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. When you can get a better university online than any 3D university, people are going to start <laughs> migrating, and then we won't need the state for education. And then when you when when the cryptocurrencies take off, and um, when healthcare gets so expensive that these pirate clinics pop up doing it for uh, like the Oklahoma Surgery Center, which has had a massive, you know, more and more of these open up, then people will see how cheap healthcare can be. And, you know, if there is an economic disaster like um, 2007, by, but bigger, a lot of laws are just going to get um, ignored. Like minimum, when people, if people are like desperate for a job, they're just going to work for cash in hand and ignore your minimum wage and your health and safety and your occupational licensing and, and you know, things and will they, just get ignored. Yeah, they really yeah. Do on a much larger scale than we know about because it's how can we know? It's a huge grey market. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it, it's just one of those things. It's a race between the technology and you know the political insanity that's going on. So yeah, yeah. Like, may you live in interesting times. Can Can I ask you guys a question about um, Australian uh, gun laws? Because it's it's much touted, especially in America. You'll hear liberals, uh, and in fact, you hear people. You hear guys like. Uh, Jim Jeffries, who I like as a as a comedian, but he'll say, you know, he 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 you know tears in about America about their gun laws and says, yeah, in Australia, you know, we used to have gun laws, uh, you know, loose gun laws. Now we've tightened up, and there hasn't been a single gun death in Australia for twenty and, the, and the, you know for ten years or whatever. So, yeah, what what's going on there? What, what what's the what's the real story? What's the real deal with the Australian gun laws? Right. Okay. All right. Um, well, um, so basically, um, what happened immediately after John Howard um, issued the new gun laws and and 
and initiated the, the buyback scenario. So, I mean, I, I grew up in a house that had guns as a kid, like my dad had rifles and was a hunter and, and we, you know, I, I did a little bit of, um, you know, practice sharpshooting as a kid with him and that was, that was pretty fun. And, um, but yeah. you know, he wasn't that into it by the time the new gun laws came through. And, and as, as always, these sweeping totalitarian laws always come about after there's been a, a tragedy that, you know, they can politically leverage. And, and it was a massacre um, in, in Hobart that, um, you know, you guys might have remember, but it was a pretty horrific shooting. And, uh, and then straight away, John Howard went, right, like it's not acceptable for people to have um, automatic or semi-automatic weapons. And in fact, let's just, let's just stitch up the gun laws altogether. So they, they started a buyback. And, uh, yeah. and you, know, you know, I can't speak to the whole story because I'm not everywhere, but, you know, we can just think it through logically and just go, well, yeah, the law-abiding citizens will give up their guns and the criminals, of course, will not. And they never registered their guns in the first place. But what did happen in the in the in the crime statistics was that immediately after the um, the guns were taken back and handed over, while uh, um, gun crime slightly dipped, home invasion massively spiked, and has been on the on the increase. Right. So you know, as soon as right. criminals know that people don't defend themselves with a firearm at home they become opportunists and they, they took advantage of that. So knife crimes and, and home invasions with, with guns went up hugely. And, uh, right. and secondly, um, uh, the black market of, of guns, you know, has uh, increased. Right. Yeah. And, you know, all the time, rising and rising and rising. And if you look at somewhere like Western Sydney, as gang crime, gun crime, you know, there, there hasn't been a massacre on the scale of, of Port Arthur. In Tasmania, um, but there has been a really steady increase in gun crime ever since, and it hasn't solved the problem that it, it claims to have solved. And of course, like the home invasion thing is the most concerning because that just shows you how it's left a lot of families defenseless against criminals who, who won't respect yeah. um, the law. Yeah, because I would guess in Australia you've got people living out in you know the outback or whatever. And you know, you you know the, the usual adage, which is you know, uh, when when seconds count, the police are minutes away. Right. I reckon for a lot of people yes. in Australia, when seconds count, the police are like hours away. Yeah, yeah, or just not available. Right. You know, they'll just they'll just give you some yeah. you know some warm words over the phone, like you know, some encouragement, and like oh maybe you better go hide. You know, um, but yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's a big country with with a, with a small police force, really. Yeah, and this is a problem. Speaking to people with sort of progressive, if you can call that, views on gun crime, they're so convinced that it's an open and shut case. Like, oh, it's so obvious. If you've got less guns, guns will have yeah, less guns, crime. Yeah, guns, they never yeah, even bother to just, creatures. Yeah, <laughs> you, never, um, you never bother to actually check the data, which is incredibly clear that, um, that crime rates, and there, there, you know, there's a, a publication called More Guns, Less Crime that shows the crime rate per 100,000 absolutely plummeting when um, um, got people are, when gun restriction, when people are allowed to hold guns, robberies, assaults, murders, rapes, all go down. You know, I, I've heard the statistic that 100,000 crimes are stopped a year by law-abiding citizens in America handling gun, um, you know, who've got and that's, guns. And that's just the ones we know about. 
that's just the ones that get reported you know like yeah, so much right. so many crimes are like you know there's tension bubbling in a scene and a, a guy is considering yeah. his gun out and and he just knows that the guy across the room has one too and he, he thinks yeah, twice so that shit doesn't well, get reported that's that's sure a, yeah. that's a crime by the balance yeah. of power um, that's just yeah, another just... economics thing of like the the hidden it's the hidden costs and the, the hidden effects that people just don't see but a temperament thing of like why are there some people who will go out and f and look for this actual statistics and some people who are to you know go with their their gut or go with their feelings um and, the yeah and and that's <laughs> that's the kind of paradox of the internet yeah it gives us all this power but we're, we're still in, in these bubbles and people are sort of segregated yeah. in their little Facebook bubble and you know they're not really out connected with the World Wide Web or whatever you want to call it. They're just in their little, you know, filtered thing, seeing the things that they, they want to see and yep. yeah, and it's, it's a challenge. So, so yeah. like technology's come a long way, but it's still got a long way to go. So that's true well it's just but the th we've not used these technologies to their capacity i mean look at something awesome like TripAdvisor, where you can check online to find out where to go eat or where to go do something cool that could have been out 10 years before the technology was there to create TripAdvisor. maybe 10 years before TripAdvisor was created so there must be so many ways that this technology can be leveraged and maybe um, those libertarians, like long term, we should be thinking about um, creating institutions, really. I mean, um, yeah, those who are doers, yeah. Make government irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. like, you okay. know, country economics, you know, cheap schools, good schools. I, I saw an entrepreneur who was creating um, private schools in America that were like half the price per student of the state schools. So, so he was spend, spending less per student to offer a better standard of education. And things like that, that actually exist in the world that people can point to and say, aha, see, this is working out. That's what I think, that's how we win, I think, unfortunately. So arguments aren't our only tool, they're only one of our tools. Yeah, well, action is obviously the, the most profound and impactful tool. And, and the thing is, it's already happening. Some libertarians, like just from capitalists, yeah. you know, they're creating stuff. Like Look at something like Uber. That's, oh, yeah, that's Uber, cut out completely, yeah. like the and monopoly of like, licensing taxis. So. And, and look at um, Freelancer and, and, and Fiverr as mm -hmm. platforms to just completely yeah. get around, um, you know, the you know trade restrictions, international trade restrictions. Right. You could just, you know, casually but, engage people on a person-to-person -person basis anywhere in the yeah. world to, you know, target the exact skill set you want and negotiate the price on your own terms and go for it. And we've but, both utilized it for small jobs and it's just like, yeah, these are fantastic the technological, technologies. The technological paradigms, they're already there and like there's some of the plots to, you know, some of my favorite science fiction. Like we, we can have like open source, peer-to-peer, -peer, like fully transparent, distributed governments, you know? Um, yeah. And so all those, all the bits of the puzzle are there and I, the person just hasn't come along yet to apply it, you know, to this way. We, you know, we can have some sort of micro democracy, and you know, we've got Bitcoin in place, and maybe it's just going to take. Like that's how people learn. Tragically, I know that's how people. Like, I know in my own life, that's how I've learned as an individual. Like, it takes yeah. the crisis to yeah. to get to the point where we need to change, and it's tragic. Maybe like Europe has to go 
through its 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 thing, you know, until again people, yeah, until people right. learn. So, but also I and, think which means like, like you know, all the arguments don't matter, you know. It's just maybe it hasten the apocalypse, and then we can. It's just you know, yeah, like, it's just trying to convince or or even get people to start. There's a, there's a great. I mean, if you're a science fiction fan, you'll know of uh, Ian Banks or Ian M Banks, as, as he's as he's known sometimes. And there's one of the characters in these novels. I can't remember which one who who, who, who says at one point. Your heads are so full of squares that you can't begin to see the circles that I'm drawing for you, and and that's kind of where we are with, with libertarianism and free market uh, yeah. thought for most people, I think. Yeah, and it takes years to become a knowledgeable libertarian. I mean, some of the articles that I write now, I I've been studying this stuff for coming up to ten years, I think, and I still couldn't have written them even two or three years ago, because it took me that long to see the, the thing from all angles. So one, uh, it takes time to know your shit, and two, it's like, we're very bookish people, and we're uh, not always as doish people, and I think it's gonna take what some time. <laughs> books, like books. I think it's gonna take <laughs> some time for these seeds to go into trees, you know, for the people, for, we need, a lot of people have only been into this stuff for a few years and it's going to take time before they come into the potential of what they have to offer the movement. We've had a huge upsurge of new people accepting these ideas, but they're still at their infancy stages of figuring out what they have to offer. And it won't be until another five or six years before we start seeing these people come out of the woodwork doing awesome things as well. I guess all we can do in the meantime is step, like, keep doing what we are doing and do more of it and establish our credibility when we end up, uh, it turns out that we're right and hopefully we've built up enough of that credibility that the people can come to us and maybe you know look for solutions. Yeah, be ahead of the curve, right? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. If, if the, 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 my only fear is that you know we don't have enough time because the socialists are fucking it up so quickly, so, yep. so badly, so quickly, that there might be nothing left, you know. But maybe that's well, what hence, needs Hence the physical removal, uh, you know, popularity, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. But maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe we need to hit that ground zero. Maybe people really need to find out how bad socialism is before they, they, they see the light. But I don't know. What, when haven't, we, haven't we done that, though, like countless times in the last hundred years? Like, haven't 250 people been killed by their own government it's, and it's harder these things are harder to kill than vampires you know, oh, they right. just keep yeah. coming fucking yeah. back but, we, but our hope is this like this this thing we're doing now you know like this yeah. level of connection across the globe um you know like we did not have this in the days of world war one or world war two or the cold war yeah. um, there was so much misinformation and the powers that be yeah. controlled all of the the yes. mind share of the planet and we we are taking back the information yes. and the communication channels so these times are very very different to anything the world has seen before that's what makes it, it would have been interesting right? so, yeah okay. it would have been difficult for them to sell the war in iraq if russia today was on mainstream television at the time for example and russia today isn't even alternative media anymore you know that only came in after the fact to debunk all the case for war but i, I would just want to say something just for any of your listeners there's something i really want you to check out because it's one thing to know that communism doesn't work and it's another thing to know exactly why 
And I think the, the, the thing that I didn't realize the importance of until the last couple of years is um, the Mycenaean calculation problem. Uh, so anyone watching this, check out, go into YouTube and type in calculation and socialism. There is some great talks on this by Joe Salerno and there is a, a Tom Woods show where he takes um, one of the lectures from his adult enrichment series where he explains calculation and socialism. Type in calculation and socialism to YouTube and get to really, really understand what Ludwig von Mises and uh, then later Friedrich Hayek explained about how without prices you cannot rationally allocate resources and you will always get massive shortages and also overproduction and wastefulness of other goods. Uh, every libertarian should really understand the, 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 the calculation problem. So type yeah, in calculation yeah, yeah. socialism. I'm going to check that out too because that's, that's an argument yeah. I'd like to really refine really uh, for myself is that understanding of the you know market forces and, and the price, you know, the, uh, yeah. the yeah. Yeah. price in, in, in keeping a stable economy. Yeah, I, I think that I, I never really realized myself how critical that was until the last year or two. And and, and also and, and on just a, just to, to to remind yourself just how bad uh, communism is. Uh, anything by Solzhenitsyn, Cancer yeah. Ward, or Gulag Archipelago, or um, or even Anne Rand's We the Living. Oh, what about yeah? Which is you know which but for me is by far and away her best work. I'm about halfway through We the Living at the moment, um, but it's All right. been on hold because I because I hooked into um, Jordan Peterson's lecture series, which has been fantastic. Have you guys? I, I think we were talking about that earlier, Anthony. Um, but Tom, have you have you checked out Jordan Peterson's work at all? I was a big. I was uh, I was in the vanguard of, yeah. the, of Jordan Peterson before he was nice. really well known. Uh, I remember watching there was a there was a Canadian uh, thing from TV Ontario called the the oh. The agenda with Steve Pikin, and it was really on on gender issues that I that I, that I got into uh, Jordan Peterson, and then checked out some of his stuff on psychology. So I'm a huge fan, and I'm I, I, one of my my tons of phrase now is, "What would Jordan Peterson do?" Yeah, yeah <laughs> what would Jordan? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. it. I love but, it. I'm, I'm definitely reprogramming my head to to factor that in too, because these are our these are the giants of. Uh, of, yeah. you know, of, you, of reasonable thought and seen, rational discourse. Um, or if any, any of your viewers haven't seen the exchange between, I mean, like, there's some stuff Jordan Peterson does. His, his, his interview with Sam Harris isn't all that good. You know, so there's some areas where he's not that strong on. But he done, uh, he was on Stefan Molyneux's show. And that, that was fantastic. That really was yeah, a, a yeah. great interview yeah, with him. I can, I, can I just say, because we were talking about a lot of, um, like, a lot of books to read and like you're talking about these you know Mises and all these other people another way to get this yeah. sort of education is just to go out there and start a fucking business and like then you'll get an yeah. education about economics instead of just you know being plugged into whatever government yeah. system or just you know someone else's big system but or, or government regulated yeah, um, like, you know yeah. income you know uh, basic wage and all of that because all the stuff we're well, talking I, about is we just want to encourage like personal responsibility yeah. and just stop like looking for some big structure to provide for you you know take take yeah. responsibility but, but i think part of the problem sorry guys but i think part of the problem especially here in the uk is we we spend so much time now protecting people from failure and protecting yeah. children yeah. from yeah. failure they can't they can't know what failure is that'll, that'll affect their self-esteem you have to constantly uh 
you know, encourage them the wrong way. Like, you know, yeah, everything's good, everything's brilliant. And then they have no, and then the first time they hit failure in the real world, bang, they go, what the hell was that? And then they don't want to know about it anymore. And yeah. anybody who's ever been successful in business will tell you that it's half failure yeah. all the time. You know, yeah, and you have to yeah. learn to deal with that. And we're not teaching kids how to deal with, fail yeah. with failure and, properly anymore. And pick themselves up. Like, yeah. I think it's so right about bringing one is if you want to succeed in business, you have to double your rate of failure. Yeah. And the Sounds other, like Tony Robbins, actually. <laughs> the, the only difference between a master and a beginner is a master has failed more times than a beginner has even tried. Mm. And, yeah, uh, you know, I, I love those. Those are really, there's a um, really great inspiring things. Like, just fucking do shit. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. You well, like look at, look at what we're doing now. You know, like this is the yeah. first time we're trying. But how else? How else are we going to get better and improve? And this comes yeah, back exactly. again to like it's a it's the thing that Peterson says often is that I mean, people vote their temperament. You know, and so like yeah. personality and who people are. And so, I and it comes back to one of like Stefan Molyneux's things is like you know, peaceful parenting for a peaceful world. Surely, but you know he's such a big focus on on the parenting, and I that's. It's disheartening and demoralizing sometimes because I don't know if people are ready for the arguments and do we just have to mm -hmm. wait for the old generation to die out and you know for us to have a hope with a, a new generation? But yeah, yeah but it comes I mean, back to parenting. Yeah, I mean the thing is, a lot of the mistakes and 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 uh, you know moral sins of the father do you know perpetuate through the children. Yeah, so it's going to take yeah. a generation of parents to make a decision to alter their course. And, you know, you were, you were really right, Tom, to bring up that idea of, you know, kids not being allowed to fail. You know, you cannot understand, yeah. you cannot ever really viscerally understand gravity until you've fallen out of a tree and broken your arm or bruised yourself, you know, and experienced it yeah. as a child. And these parents who um, mollycoddle their children and protect them from, you know, even the smallest amount of, like, negative emotion or, um, like, yeah. They they are setting their children up to be um, unable to emotionally cope with the trials yeah. and, and and mishaps that will occur as they grow up. But that said, on the other hand, you know when when children are grown up in an oppressive or violent um, environment in the home, then they look to the state when they get older to be the new parent, that's and right. that's when they need yeah. the world system. Yeah, they need the they need the cushion to land on when they fail. They they need to not ever have to feel the full consequences of their yeah, and they will happily trade in. Um, you know, they'll they'll accept that privilege by trading in their liberties. Um, and it's it's a it's a you know it's going to take a generation really standing up for their children. I think to change that in the long run, and, and that's that's something that Sven and I are really. Are either of you guys parents? Uh, I've been the parent thing. My uh, I've the passed on that torch to my daughter. I wasn't I wasn't incredibly successful as a parent. Uh, I was divorced, uh, you know, when my daughter was like four years old. So um, yeah, I've been I've been a parent, and nobody. It's you 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 you, you can learn from your parents, um, but you, you kind of you you think you you know what you're going to do. You go, okay, I'll never do that, uh, and I'll do that. I'll do it this way, or. Okay, that's good. I'll try that, but nothing, nothing really, nothing really prepares you for it. I don't think. Yeah. You know? So it was, it was a, the whole thing was a bit of a scary experience for me. But the thing is, yeah, I mean, no, I, I can, I can understand that. Yeah, but the, the, the 
one of the, the things I've noticed that it's in schools here, particularly, I mean, don't get me wrong, but like bullying's a serious thing and, and, and it's bad. But we've we've got to the stage with kids where there was one instance. Uh, this is this was a, a story I heard. There's a there's a woman here called uh, Claire Fox, who's with the Institute for Ideas. Uh, it's just kind of like a, a libertarian right uh, market leaning uh, think tank. And one of her friends' kids came home from school, floods of tears, saying that they'd been bullied at school. And of course, the parents went to the school going, "Go look, what the hell's going on here? Their child's been bullied." But it turns out that she just wasn't invited. To a party, you know, and that was her idea of being bullied. You know, you weren't invited to somebody's party. Freedom of association, maybe. Parents say, "Well, look, that's life. You know, that's some people yeah. won't invite you to their parties. You know, it's not bullying. It's just that they yeah. don't. You know, dudes, pick yourself up. Say, well, you don't want to go to the rotten party anyway. You know, have your own party. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, fuck yeah, 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 Try harder. Yeah. Find better friends. Yeah, you know, probably the latter. <laughs> Yeah, but so it's, it's, it's yeah, until you're a parent, you don't really know. You know, if, if everybody's got a plan till they get hit, you know, and it's, and I think as yeah. soon as you you get the kid, all, all those plans that you had and all the everything that you thought was going to work just seemed to go to rat shit, you know. But it would help. It's one of the most, as Anthony always says, it's one of the most important jobs you'll ever have in your life, and mm. nobody really spends any time. Well, a few people get it, but most people just go out. Oh, I'll just wing it, you know, pick it up as I go along. And it's yeah, probably not. I consider myself very fortunate because I've been I've been listening to to Stefan Molyneux for close to ten years now and you know, he right. smashes the peaceful parenting message and my daughter was only born a couple of years ago, so that was all pretty deep ingrained and I think she's she's very fortunate, you know, like we're far from perfect, yeah. but at least we have an ideal of what is possible, you know. So yeah, and I, I think that's okay, very cool. rare in the world people just just don't put any thoughts into it so it's pretty tragic but the other thing i wanted to say is like um all these things it comes back to individualism and uh jordan peterson he really likes to say it's it's worth putting on a bumper sticker i think um just sort yourself out you know sort yourself out first and all these yeah, problems go away. And as the technology yeah. it's more sophisticated and we'll we'll be able to sort ourselves out more easy maybe it'll get yes. to the point where we'll have online therapy and everyone can you know yeah. see a psychologist and you know, <laughs> a little plug for you there anthony yeah. but, um, and that's sort of such stuff. a thing exists yep and yeah <laughs> and i think that's a quote from the diamond age as well like something about from the confucian you know like yeah. first and you know as we go to get up these successive layers you know then the community will be nice you know the, the province the state or whatever yeah. and the country and you know we can have some utopian world hopefully at the end there but yeah, yeah. But hey, at least even if individual. we don't get utopia at least you know the focus has been people sorting their shit out and yeah you can improve responsibility yeah you can improve dramatically if you know the right tools but it's it's quite hard to get a hand on good tools but i think the technology will be helping it's great that jordan peterson suddenly got really famous because i think a ton of people are doing his maps of meaning thing sure. um, my plan for this year uh, the next couple of months is to create like an online well i've already created the material but to gamify a course which is a personal development course so when you go through it you know you get gold stars as you complete the exercises and and things Can I speak because my language people, first? yeah because people see doing these things is quite intimidating so when it's one big thing so that the way that we're going to do it it's all going to be in, and if like 
I think if hundreds or thousands or as many people as possible did that course, I think they'd get a lot out of it because I, um, I dragged it from the depths of my being and uh, the material from it. So more on that and non, I guess, I think that, as you say, the tools, this needs to become a science of human well-being. For so long, we've got these so-called health care systems that are actually sick care. The standard of health is considered not being sick rather than, you know, being optimal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Rather than thriving. So if we can uh, put that note, and some people won't want to thrive until they've suffered enough that they need to sort themselves out, and that's just the concept of hitting rock bottom. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think we we, uh, we should probably wrap it up because I, I get the should. impression we all have a good chin wag and we could go on for hours more, but yeah, I think so we've covered a lot of ground for a, for an inaugural episode of our um, Antipode yeah, and yeah. Uh, Covenant. And uh, yeah, great chatting to you guys. Uh, we've been swinging yes, between two and seven viewers live, which has been awesome. So shout out to um, the two viewers who are still <laughs> um, checked in. It's probably like Rob and Vera, but yeah. you know, if it is uh, but yeah I'm sure we're gonna keep this on the channel and other people will see it we're gonna put a link below to the Scottish Liberty podcast and um, and as we mentioned um, Anthony is a is a online counselor and offers therapy so if you want to get in touch with him we'll put his contact details below I'm James thanks so much Tom and Anthony thanks guys have a good day awesome guys we'll see you next time catch gotcha. you